Welcome to Conversations for Life, a marriage and family podcast from Cross Life with hosts Jonathan and Kathleen. Each episode, we sit down and talk about the things that matter most to those that matter most to you. We're so glad you're with us today. Please pull up a chair and join in the conversation. Hey everyone, welcome back to Conversations for Life. Today, Jonathan and I are beginning a series discussing what the Bible says about the relationship between men and women in marriage. Yeah, so for the past month or so, we've been looking at issues within Christianity that are particularly relevant for women in relationship to men. Uh, We began by discussing whether or not the Bible supports or validates a misogynistic attitude toward women. And we argued that the starting point for seeing what God and His Word have to say about women is in Genesis 1 and 2. And there we see that women are of equal worth, value, and ability as men, and that God has called men to value and esteem their wives. We discussed some of the stories where women are mistreated, and we suggested that the way God wants us to read these stories is to compare them to His design for men and women that we find in Genesis 1 and 2. So anytime the people are doing something contrary to that design, we should recognize it as being sinful, and that the Bible is therefore not validating or supporting these actions or the attitudes of the people in the stories, but rather is showing us from Genesis 3 onward the consequences of the fall and what sin has done to God's good design in Genesis 1 and 2. Yeah, and we also looked at the Old Testament law and explored how Rather than demeaning women, the civic laws functioned as the bare minimum of expectation for how people should be treated in the land, especially the vulnerable, which in in some cases were women. Hmm. So these laws were about protecting them from abuse, oppression, and exploitation in the worst case scenarios and within the cultural, sociological background and norms of the day. Yeah, and then finally we looked at, in terms of the Old Testament law, uh, some of the ritual laws that address women. And we suggested that to read these commands properly, we must divorce in our minds the idea of ritual purity from shame. That ritual purity laws were about educating Israelites on holiness and sanctity. And and thus, they were not demeaning or shaming, but rather reinforcing an Israelite's understanding of their value before God and the responsibilities that their value as His holy people communicated to their actions and their beliefs. Yeah, that's really well put. Thanks. And um, so for the last two weeks, we've been discussing what to do when our earthly experience of fatherhood or men in authority has resulted in hurt or trauma or abuse, Mm. such that it clouds our ability to understand and worship God as our Heavenly Father. And we said that since Scripture is not just words written arbitrarily by men, but it's actually God's revelation of Himself, we can't dispose of any aspect of His revelation that personally challenges us. Mm. Instead, and this is the, the really positive side of that, we should use these areas of challenge to identify where we need to heal and grow. And we emphasize that this is a process and that it also requires us to see sanctification in a much more holistic light than what it's sometimes reduced down to. Mm, so now for the next few weeks, we're going to be discussing another issue that's important for both men and women, um, perhaps felt more keenly among women, um, but the, we're talking about God's design for gender roles in marriage. So when it comes to men and women, what role does God want men to play in marriage, and what role does He want women to fulfill? Yeah, so this is going to be a, a, a several series or several talks that we're going to get to have. It's a big discussion, 
But as we dive into this question about God's expectations and design for marriage, uh, we are going to do we're going to do so with a basic understanding that women are women and men are men, and that the two are not interchangeable. That God designed men and women in certain ways to perform unique roles and tasks in marriage and the home. And so our question is, what is this teaching exactly? And what does it look like on a day-to-day basis in the home? And, and we should acknowledge, Kathleen, at the outset here that you know, there's been an, an absolute avalanche of books and articles and even whole ministries that are devoted to this issue. And of course, given our limited time and our purpose here, we're not going to be interacting with um, all of this material. That's just impossible. Yeah. Instead, what I want to do is just look at Scripture and see what Scripture has to say, and then let the dominoes fall where they may in light of what the Bible teaches. I say this because anyone who's been a Christian for a while knows that there are a lot of groups and camps who take one side or another on different issues relating to marriage and and gender roles. And our purpose is not to side with one group or another, but rather just to let God's Word speak afresh to us as we discuss these questions here at Conversations for Life. Yes, well said. And so we hope that whoever you are, whatever your convictions are about these issues, Um, Don't associate what we're saying here as necessarily supporting one Mm. side or the other. Um, We don't even personally know all of the different groups (laughs) and dividing points that are out there. There's There's so many people saying so Mm. many different things. So our desire is to look at what Scripture says as clearly and as accurately as possible and to apply that to everyday life. Um, There are some issues we think are either so wrong or so damaging that we'll address those directly, but our main aim is to let God's Word speak for itself. Amen. And to do this, I think, again, the, the place to start and where we're going to be camping out today is back in Genesis 1, 26 to 28. Seems to be like our, our, our theme passage for this, mm. for this uh, past couple of months. Mm. Uh, we've already looked at this passage when we were talking about parenting as, as image bearers and that whole paradigm of image bearing as parenting. And so a little of what we're going to say today, we'll rehash some of that discussion, but now we're going to focus more on that gender aspect of these verses. Yeah, so I'll, I'll read that now. This is Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So the first thing I want to say is what we already pointed out a while ago in our, as you said, Jonathan, in our discussion about image bearing, uh, being the paradigm that God gives us for parenting. And, And related to this, the very first place the Bible talks about men and women, it emphasizes their common nature, value, and worth as being made in God's image. Yes, and and one of the things I will be pointing out over the next couple of weeks as we look at these two chapters at the beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2, is just how radical this claim is. I think we as modern people lose just how radical it is, especially when you think about the fact that Moses wrote this around 1500 B.C., and women in the ancient world were not typically seen as equally, quote-unquote, human as men. You know, meaning that in these, in these patriarchal cultures, men were the ultimate ideal of humanity, and women were seen as less than men. 
but here in Genesis 1, the writer specifically identifies men and women as being both made in God's image. And I think there's just really no way to understate the radical aspect of this simple phrase, male and female, he made them. It tells every woman, ancient or modern, that any time anyone tells you that you are less valuable, capable, or intelligent as a man, that they are not just insulting you, they are insulting the God who made you in his image. Yeah, and secondly, not only does it say that God made them both in his image, they both receive equally the charge that's given to them by God to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and to rule over the creatures. They both receive this charge from God. Yeah, and and most scholars recognize that uh, the nature of being made in God's image is directly connected with their mission. Just as men and women who are, are made in God's image, so men and women are both called in light of their nature to go and do the image-bearing work of having children and ordering the earth. And as we talked about with regard to image-bearing and parenting, scholars have for centuries debated over the definition of what this means to be made in the image of God. And my argument is that it means that we were designed by God in our nature to be conduits of His character on earth. That folks can go back and listen to our discussion about about image-bearing and parenting, and I think it's great, and there'll be a fuller explanation there of what that means But what's important for us today is to note that it doesn't say here that man is made in the image of God the Father and the wife is made like God the Son or however you want to square it. And this is really important because some have tried to make the connection between the relationship between a husband and a wife as similar to that between God the Father, God the Son, or some aspect of the Trinity, of the relationship between the persons and the Trinity. But this is wrong on on multiple levels. Um... In relation to this passage, it's wrong because men and women, while expressing God's character in unique ways as men and women, they nonetheless express the triune God's character. What I mean by that is that a man expresses the triune God's character. So when I say triune God, I'm talking about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. A man expresses the triune God's character in unique ways, which we might say are manly ways, and the woman also expresses the triune God's character in unique womanly ways. So we don't want to read into this text any kind of a division of the roles in the Trinity and the, and the persons in the Trinity with, with men and women. That's just not justified by what this text is saying. It's saying God said, let us make man in our image, and he made the male and female in his image. Yeah, so this text here is teaching that both men and women share the same nature, and they have this charge to have children and subdue the earth. And along with that, it delineates human beings into male and female. Genesis says, male and female, he created them. So this tells us that being male or female, being distinct in our sexes, is part of God's plan and part of our core design. Yeah, and, and this is actually becoming a very radical truth today. Um, but, but this is why I think this passage is so brilliant. That on the one hand, it radically affirms that men and women have more in common than they do in difference. Mm. I just want to say that one more time. This text tells us that men and women have more in common than they do in difference. Because more often than not, whenever I hear people talk about husbands and wives and marriage relationships, it always seems to focus on what's different. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and the Bible is much more concerned with our common uh, you humanity. Know, humanity as being yeah. made in God's image than our differences. So right. it's interesting that that's what we always seem to talk about. Um, 
but this text, you know, the very beginning of the Bible talks about our, 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 our uniqueness as being made in God's image, which we, we share together. But it does so, it, it doesn't obliterate the, 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 the fact that we are made male and female. It doesn't obliterate our masculinity and our femininity. You know, by saying that he made us male and female, God wants us to recognize that our masculinity and our femininity are not an accident. They're integral to our nature and to our purpose. Okay, yeah. So the first takeaway from these verses that could be that, that any teaching or attitude that fails to value women and femininity as equally expressive of the image of God as compared to men and masculinity is going against the paradigm and principles established by God's own word here in Genesis mm. 1. And so anytime some core aspect of human nature is believed to be possessed more by men than by women, just by nature of their sex, that person is directly contradicting Genesis 1. So, for example, intelligence. Our intellect is connected with being made in God's image. So anytime someone implies or explicitly teaches that women should be restricted from any endeavor employing their intelligence, they're contradicting God's word. Amen. And Kathleen, what you just said I think is so critical. I think that if there's anything I wanted people to walk with to walk away with today is what you just said. Mm. That um, anytime anyone, I don't care what denomination, what degree they have, uh, how, how important they make it sound, anytime anyone says that something about masculinity or, or being men is more indicative of the image of God than women, they are contradicting mm. what God has told us clearly in His Word. Yeah. That doesn't at all mean, as we've already said, it doesn't obliterate the, the uniqueness of men as being male and, and all the attributes that we have as, 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 as men or women as being female, but it just says that, that within the context of, of, our, of our commonality as human beings, we share that equal uh, ability and capability and worth in God's eyes. Um, yeah, and that's so, an important starting point. We want to establish that. Yeah, amen. And as you already mentioned, of course, you know, one of the most basic ones is our intellect, that uh, the women are, are just as capable of using their minds and using their intellect as men are. And to go along with that, a you know, second um, implication is theology. The theology is a word that we use for the pursuit of knowing God. And if Genesis 1 does nothing else, it tells us that women are not only equally as capable as men at pursuing the knowledge of God, they're equally commanded to do so. Because implicit in this declaration that men and women are made in God's image is the expectation that the first and chief priority for all of us as human beings is to know God. That's the whole purpose of theology. And so women are every bit as much theologians as men. Yeah, yeah. And one of, our, one of our first podcasts last year was called Mom as Theologian. Um, and it was a call for women to know theology as an expression of love and devotion for God. And for me, one of the most powerful aspects of recognizing our value or our privilege in some way is also recognizing our responsibility, which is the other side of the coin. So in other words, recognizing that women are made in God's image and valuable and capable it does more than just give us warm, fuzzy feelings. Hmm. It's a grand truth, and it frees us from all kinds of lies that the world tells us, hmm. but it's even more than that. Because of our valued position, we have a weighty responsibility. As women, we are part of God's plan to bring His kingdom to bear in this world, and that means we must use all hmm. of the capacities that God gave us in order to further His work in the way that He wills. So use your intelligence, your compassion, your drive, your competence, your tenderness, your relational ability, your emotions, all of these things. Use them for the glory of God. Amen. 
and, and as we just said, use them in feminine ways. That, that's right. some, you know, you don't have to, to think about, okay, so I need to go become a man to do these things. No, that's, that's, that's actually what this one is not saying. It's saying you can do all of these things in the ways God made you as a woman, and those things are good. Mm. Um, Thanks. Thanks for saying that. Amen. I appreciate that. Well, it, it even gets to, this, this actually relates right to, to books. You know, in evangelical culture, lots of people write books, and we've had uh, guests on that have written books. And I remember one guest thanked me after the interview um, for reading her book, as she said, you know, a lot of men won't read books written by women, uh, you know, within uh, evangelical culture, at least her, her her faith community, I guess. And I was just flabbergasted um, because I'm thinking to myself, okay, women are, are equally as much theologians as men. So basically, if you're a man who refuses to read a book written by a woman, you're cutting out half the expression of God's character and will on earth. And so, so finally, you know, I'll just say that the last thing, and this gets to authors and, and, that, and that profession, but uh, is the ability for, for women uh, and men uh, regarding to, to a call to work. You know, I've, I've never been in a place or a community that restricted certain work only to men, but I know that for most of human history, there has existed a prejudice that women should not and, and that they could not perform many of the careers and jobs that men do. Now, uh, you know, we want to first recognize that before the modern era, life looked very different for everyone, men and women. And so I think we need to be a little charitable, I would say, in, in recognizing that for most of human history, people were just trying to survive, uh, women included. And so many women simply couldn't have done the physical labor jobs that men could do. And most women were just trying to survive pregnancy and childbirth. Right. And so in part, you know, many of the labor roles in pre-modern times were uh, as much about practicality and survival as any explicit sexist attitudes. But nonetheless, the attitudes have existed and further entrenched these views even when it wasn't necessary. But the Bible does not delineate certain jobs for men and certain jobs for women. Yeah, and we don't want to fall into the fallacy of modern snobbery that ignores the historical reality of pre-modern times, as you, as you mentioned, when some people claim that women should be in the home, not working, they're ignoring the fact that in pre-modern times, there really wasn't a rigid distinction between work and home for most people. Mm. Almost everyone had a very integrated home and work life because the home was the epicenter of production and commerce. And so the work that women did in those times evolved a lot more labor, <laughs> physical manual labor, than most modern men do in their workplace. Right. Um, so if we try to frame male and female roles along the lines of a modern bifurcation of home and work, then women have been violating this principle for all of human history. <laughs> yeah, and we don't want to read into Genesis 1 about a bifurcation that women were to care for home and men go out and subdue the earth. Both men and women were called together to fill the earth and subdue it. And so within this united calling, men and women will fulfill different roles. Each will, each will um, have their own emphases, but they are to work together toward the larger goal of fulfilling their mission as God's image bearers. Yeah, and if I could just add something there, you know, home and outside the home, those things go together as far as this commission from God of yeah. subduing the earth, um, the work in the home, the work outside the home, whatever that looks like, those things go together. Amen. And, and so, so to that point, the real question is, well, what does Genesis 1 look like in today's world? That's really where the rubber meets the road, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, without going into redemptive history, we're not looking at all the, you know, the scope of, of, of history and scriptures. Um, but but what, is, what does it look like for men and women made in God's image to work together now to fulfill the purpose that we were created by God uh, to do? Yeah, and one implication is the increasing freedom for women to participate in the life of broader society because of the advance of medical care. 
Um, it was not God's original design that women experience high rates of pain and death through pregnancy and childbirth, nor that they suffer so much in fulfilling hmm. the God-given role as wife and mother. This all came about because of the fall and the curse. So to the degree that we've pushed back the curse and enabled women to be more active in society, this ought to be celebrated and encouraged. Amen. <laughs> Thanks. Going along with that, we shouldn't think that we're forced to define this engagement in society and the ideals of work in terms of fallen masculinity. Mm. Um, what I mean is, just as we don't assume that restrictions placed on women due to the curse and sin are God's intended design for women, we also don't want to assume that the sinful work ideals that today characterize many men's approaches to work are biblical norms either. We don't want to reject sinful messages about women merely to embrace sinful messages about men. Amen. Um, yeah, it, it, we don't just trade those out. <laughs> so greed and workaholism and self-centered ambition, a, a kill-or-be-killed approach to business and competition, um, these are not God-ordained things, and this is not how he wants us to live or to work. Um, so as women are engaging in the world, and as you talked about earlier, we don't have to become masculine. And these are these are not traits that characterize men. This is not the definition right. of masculinity. This right. is like sinful, fallen aspects of mm. the way some men uh, express their masculinity. Mm. And so what we're saying is don't follow that. That's exactly the thing to reject. Um, you know, so we don't want to, we don't want women to think, oh, we have to become masculine or embrace these broken masculine ideas. Um, both men and women need to look at work as God designed and intended it. And this is, is, is a challenging issue because I think many women do wrestle with guilt and fear and, and confusion over God's will for them. Um, is it wrong for them to want to devote uh, themselves full time to caring for their kids in the home? Is it wrong to want to work full time? Is it wrong to go to college or, or, to, or to not go to college and instead get married and have children? And I just want to say that I think every pastor and every Christian man should be a champion of breaking down this, this paradigm of right and wrong when it comes to what women do. Women are held to no different standard of right and wrong in regard to their participation in society than men are. So just as men can pursue a career in right ways and wrong ways, so can a woman. And just as a man can make unwise and foolish decisions about life and work, so can a woman. There's no extra layer of sin category that applies only to women. That is something worth repeating. Women are often made to feel guilty one way or another, over and above men. But yeah, women are not extra prone to sin as if we're walking on a knife's edge and one false step means we're heathens. <laughs> mm. um, yeah, there's no extra layer of of sin. There's no extra sin category that applies only to women. But I'm sure that uh, some women feel this way and have been, have been made to feel this way. And I know some women who have to work full-time or part-time, and they would love to be able to be home with their kids more. And I know some who have intentionally decided to live on a much lower income in order for the wife to stay home. And these are difficult decisions to make. But this is where we can be thankful that the Bible's approach is to teach us the path of wisdom. Mm. Decisions in real life are always Need, they always need to be guided by God's absolute, unshakable truth. But they're not always black and white. Um, one of our seminary professors defined biblical wisdom as the art of godly living. And he called it this because wisdom in the Bible is not just about giving us a list of rules and saying, okay, now go do this all the time. Hmm. We are given laws and commands. They're unequivocal. But wisdom is about teaching us discernment so that we can make decisions that honor the Lord and are rooted in faith 
not idolatry or selfishness in any circumstance, not only those that are directly defined in Scripture. Amen. So um, that's so good. So when it comes to a particular couple or, or a particular person, man or a woman, you know, making decisions about their career, their marriage, their parenting, and how to use the energy in their time, there are certain non-negotiables that are clearly given to us in Scripture. For example, as we talked about, you know, that parents are the primary disciples of their children. That is a non-negotiable. No matter what mom and dad are doing career-wise, if they are not discipling their kids, they are not obeying the Lord. And there are others too, but beyond these clear guidelines, when it comes to deciding the gray areas of life, uh, they're not gray because we don't know God's will. They're gray because we are called to live out God's will in a fallen world. And that means having to sort through the messiness of a world that doesn't work according to God's design. And so we have to do the best that wisdom guides us. Yes, absolutely. I, I really love that, that because we live in a fallen world, nothing uh, is going fully according to God's original design. And so it's it's messy. And so we have situations where there's not like a, an answer that just, you know, is highlighted in a neon sign falling down from heaven. Hmm. And so um, we have to develop skill and wisdom. The Bible certainly doesn't have room to list every single situation that every single human being would face for all of time. So in our fallen world, we have to use wisdom and the brains that God gave us, uh, sanctified, <laughs> to discern the right course. Amen. Um, and another relevant application of Genesis 1, 26 through 28 is that the Bible gives us a true vision for feminism and for femininity. A lot of modern feminism is rooted in a deeply flawed view of womanhood. And what's brilliant and beautiful about biblical femininity is that it upholds our equal worth and value as compared to men, but it also validates our distinctive qualities as women. So we don't have to surrender our femininity in the pursuit of equality. And that's a big, hmm. big deal. And that uh, really goes against the grain of what our culture is constantly saying. And this is a powerfully freeing message. And I would encourage women to share this truth with younger women, who, many of whom are being lied to about what Christianity really teaches about womanhood and femininity. Amen, Kathleen. And I just want to close with some thoughtful comments by one of my seminary professors, Dr. Bob Yarbrough, who was talking about the impact of the gospel around the world. And he said that, you know, wherever you look, Wherever the gospel has gone, the lives and the status of women has always gone up. And I've never forgotten those words, because even as we struggle as the church to, to honor and esteem and value those um, equal members of, of the human race who are made in God's image, uh, we sometimes definitely have fallen short as, as, a, as a community of faith, and we need to own up to that, and we need to recognize that God's word calls us to value women uh, quite frankly, part of why I wanted to do this series is because I think all too often um, sexist and misogynistic attitudes are, are masked by um, supposed Christian pietism. And I want to unmask that and say, look, um, being holding to those attitudes is not honoring to God, and it's not honoring to women who are made in His image. And so that's, that's kind of part of why I'm invested in this series, is I want us as the church to recognize that no matter where you fall in the spectrum of of what you believe women's role is to be in the church, uh, it's clear in Scripture that women are made in the image of God. They have equal worth and dignity and ability as men do and are called to serve alongside men in fulfilling the Great Commission, um, and, and that that's a joyful, wonderful thing. And so I hope that that's what our listeners walk away with today.
Well, we're out of time, so um, I hope this has been edifying and encouraging for you guys. We will pick up again next week and, and continue in this discussion. And um, We do want to remind you that Conversations for Life is a podcast ministry of Cross Life, and it's supported by individuals like you. You can go to our website at www.crosslifetoday.org for more information or to check out the other podcasts we have on the podcast page. And you can also see um, relevant information and resources related to each podcast there. Mm. So uh, thanks for joining us, and God bless. Take care.